Hello and welcome to the Sierra Bible Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Nathan Levering. Christmas has been sort of amazing in a number of ways here at Sierra Bible Church, just watching God work all over the place. And I'm reminded when we kind of even just kicked off the season with an event called Surviving the Holidays. Uh, and it's really an opportunity for us as a church to open our doors to our church folks, but also the community and folks that are grieving in a special way through this season. And so an amazing time. And then maybe you were a recipient or a giver of one of our 700 plus cookies that we took all over the county and had fun delivering uh, and inviting folks from our community back to join us here uh, at the church. We had, you know, many of you, I know because I've seen you students showed up for one of our flannel formals as we celebrated in here and Jason did all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, And then our uh, youth worship team and our worship team, if you were here for our all creation Worships evenings were just amazing times together to celebrate, to worship. Um, and then last week, right, some of you star stomped around here. Yeah, you guys rocked it. Thank you guys so much for bringing us that joy and fun and the opportunity to be together. And then as we've gathered uh, as a community throughout this season, we've opened God's word up. And throughout this Christmas season, we've been looking at a particular chapter in a particular book. It was actually written as a letter some 2,000 years ago by a man that now is commonly known as the Apostle Paul to a community of people in Rome. People he longed to be with, but not knowing if he'd ever get to spend time with them, he sort of wrote for us later in life the clearest and even maybe most dense picture of what God has done, is doing, and will do in the Jesus of Christmas. And so he invites us to take a look at what God is up to in our world. And so we've been walking through the incredible story of God as Paul kind of lands this plane, chapter 12, um, which if you have a Bible, you could open it. We'll finish it together. He asks us, as we looked at last week, four kind of rhetorical questions. In other words, if you've walked yourself through the truth of what God has done in Jesus, at this point in the chapter, I'm going to ask you these four questions, and in many ways, you know the answer answers. But it's these answers that will help you walk through the ups and the downs and the arounds of our real lives. This is what it looks like to walk with the Savior that was born. And so he asked us four questions. We looked at three last week. We're going to look at the last one, which I think in some ways he saves as kind of our last question together. As he does this, uh, halfway through verse 34, he wraps up sort of this truth in real succinct language about who this Jesus of Christmas is. And so here's sort of the language that he uses. In fact, I'll I think if I can pull my glasses out here, read it from my Bible. Maybe you have yours out. Halfway through verse 34, as Paul prepares us to hear this last of four questions, he reminds us of this. He says, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, he says, who was raised to the surprise of everyone in that day to life, is currently now at the right hand of God. It's a way of saying he's calling the shots. He's the play caller from heaven for earth, and he's also interceding for us. He says, this Jesus, this one we celebrate in a manger, this one we sing songs about, this time of year especially, 
came to us, and if you've walked, with Roman, walked through Romans 8 with us, you'll remember the language, came to us in, in flesh to take care of our sin. He then three days later rose again, not only victorious over our sin, but conquers death in his life. And he's now present with us, lovingly shaping and guiding our very lives. And so Paul brings us to this point, and then he asks us the question, right? And in some ways, it's a rhetorical question for him, because, and he's going to answer it in a minute, but what's the question? He says, who, kind of looks around, who shall separate us? If this is what God has done, who shall separate us from? And then he doesn't often talk about what he mentions next. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. You know, Christmas, sometimes we think about all the prophecies that were written before Jesus walked the face of the earth. Jesus was getting the earth ready in many ways for what he would do, or God was, in Jesus. But have you ever thought to consider how many of the 300 plus times that this Messiah was mentioned in the Old Testament that he was promised to be marked as one who would love It's interesting to me to think that not one time in all the Old Testament did the writer say, watch for one that loves. What will mark this one that comes as God, for God, will be loved. Never. They were looking for a king. They're looking for the eternal Savior. And yet when those that walked with Jesus, those that spent time with him, those that wrote letters about their experiences, Watching him spend time with people like us. Here's what they said. And this is a great phrase, right? This is written by this guy actually known as sort of the apostle of love, John himself. He says these words. He says, behold, behold, what great love has the father lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. He said, when you see Jesus, what you see is one that loves. His love, in fact, is the thing that takes our kind of good old-fashioned family Christmas and turns it into a season of worship, of finding our God, our Creator, our Savior in Christ, and in Him finding that true and lasting peace, in Him finding the true and lasting joy. And what John will say over and over and over again is what it looked like to see this Jesus was love. He loved us. He loved those he was with. So let's look at three different kind of things that we uh, sort of understand as Paul promises for us in this question that there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. The first thing we see is that his love is sacrificial. And John would hit on this all over the place. In fact, in John chapter 13, he starts, and it's this big turn in the life of Jesus. John's been chronologically kind of walking through Jesus' events as he's healing people and teaching. And then John sort of turns us in chapter 13 as Jesus turns toward Calvary and the cross. And he says this, up until chapter 13, Jesus has been loving the people around him. And I've seen him do it. I'm one of them, John says. But now turn towards his final 
hour, he's going to love the world to the end. This is the wholeness of what this Jesus would do. In a verse that many of us memorized as we walked through a series this uh, last fall called What Love Is, we hear these words by John. This is love. And it's an interesting thing just to throw those words out, I think, in our culture. And John says, this is what it is. This is love. Not that we loved God, not that we got it figured out, not that we got cleaned up, but that he loved us. John goes on, he says, this is what that love looks like. God sent then his only son as an atoning sacrifice. Our big word during this season was propitiation. And the word literally sort of, it answers this problem that Paul actually raises earlier in Romans. When he says, by way of connecting the dots for us, that the wages of human sin is death. And when he says, this is what love is, not that you love God, but he loved you. And his son came as the propitiation, as the one who paid my debt, your debt, before the Father. That's what love looks like. First and foremost, Jesus' love, Christmas love, is sacrificial. The second thing that we see over and over is that Jesus' love is personal. Jesus' love is personal. You know, a lot of times I get to do funerals, and, and I love doing them. And at, sometimes at funerals, what will happen is the family will get up to share. Maybe you've done this. You've shared on behalf of a loved one or someone that you've lost. And as I'll sit and listen to di- different people from different perspectives share about their loved ones, sometimes this happens. The daughter will get up and she'll start just talking about mom and here's who mom was and here's what mom did. And it's as if she's saying this, I was mom's favorite. Sometimes they even say that, right? She'll look at her brothers and sisters and we all know who the favorite was. It was me. And then a coworker will get up and say, she was such an amazing person. And I know she loved everybody that she worked with, but guess what? Here's the secret. She loved me the most. And then maybe someone that played sports with her will get up and like, she loved everybody. She was great. She was a fun teammate, but here's the secret. She loved me the most. And here's what Jesus' love feels like for us. John, the author of those verses that we shared, when he came on the scene, he was actually known as one of the sons of thunder. He would later in life identify himself as one that Jesus loved. This is sort of Bible language for guess what everybody else, John says, I was Jesus' favorite. I want you to find someone around you right now and tell them this. I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm Jesus' favorite. That's what the love of God does in us. You know, it's as if John looked at the world and he's like, hey, I'm sure that Jesus loved everyone, but I just like everyone to know I'm Jesus' favorite. That's what his love does in us. I had an odd sort of thought this Christmas season. I don't know why it was odd. It may not seem odd to you, but I remember seeing a manger and and I was just thinking about this and I was like, you know, thinking about Emmanuel and God with us, and it was kind of out there. And then the personal nature of who Jesus is struck me in a new way, and I thought this, I know that baby. You ever thought of this? Like, I know that kid. I know that Jesus. I mean, this is just an odd thought to me. I don't just simply know about Jesus, although I love learning about him. I love studying his life but I know him. Like sometimes he really honestly challenges me. I mean, he's challenged me to, you know, go back in the room and apologize to my wife or my kids or my coworkers. 
There are times when he's loved me in what I would call a unique way, where he's looked me like he did when, when he was here in the eyes and said, Nate, you're forgiven. I, I honestly would tell you that that same baby that we see in a manger that we sing, so I know him. He's comforted me in times where I was so broken and hurt. And he just wrapped his arms around me and said, I got you. I'm here. My love is personal over and over and over again. And then the last thing we see, not only is his love sacrificial, although very much that or personal, his love is resolute. His love is resolute. Sometimes those of us that have sort of surrendered our lives to Christ, we kind of forget this at times. So I want to lean into some of you maybe this morning who, who, you know, just because of maybe life situations and maybe quite frankly, if I were in your situation, I would have responded the same. But, but you kind of keep God over here. And you, if you're honest for a moment, can look back on your life. And you know he's resolute. You know, even though you said, maybe you said even out loud, I don't believe in you. I don't buy it. I'm not willing to go there. I'm not sure I trust. I met those Christians. Some of them look like you all or me. I'm not going there. But God's love, he chases us down. He pursues us. Is it not interesting that you find yourself in a place like this again, hearing the message of God's love and grace and mercy in Jesus? He pursues us. Jesus told us stories. He, he said it would be like this. Do you remember the story? He says, man, it's, it's a little, God's perspective of Christmas is a little bit like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one and he goes and chases them. This is what heaven looks like from, or Christmas looks like from 30,000 feet. God coming to earth to chase us down. And he finds that sheep. And what does he do? He calls his buddies and they celebrate. It's a little bit like that woman that has 10 coins, Jesus says, and she loses one. What does she do? She rips the you know, cushions out of the you know, couch like you lost your remote control. You know, she's going to find that coin. And when she finds that coin, she calls her friends and they celebrate and throw a party. This is what Christmas looks like from Jesus' perspective because his love is sacrificial, it's personal, and it is resolute. It's coming for us. And so it's in this context that we get asked then this question by Paul, verse 35. We want the question, sorry. Maybe I got ahead of my notes, Brad. The question sounds something like this. What in the world should separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, then he gives us a list, seven things. Shall trouble or hardship, he connects all these with this word, or trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. In other words, he says, man, you may have a list. You may have some stuff. And, and you kind of said, I don't know if, if I can quite get with the love of God. How is it that a God can be loving and yet this happens? And Paul invites us to consider that. He says, trouble really is that word where like life just squeezes you. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health thing. And you look at that, oftentimes it's on someone else's behalf and said, if God could allow that, I don't know if I can trust his love. This idea of hardship is sort of just being hemmed in or being stuck in life. It's like the picture that comes to mind is the mom, right? That's got four kids under the age of five. She's kind of wondering like, am I a child of the living God or like, do I do laundry? 
You know, it's just life is hard sometimes. It's complicated. Persecution, right? How we live this out. And he walks through this incredible list and asks with each of those, can this separate us from the love of God? And then in verse 36, this kind of interesting language, if we follow along through the text. He says this, as it is written. So he walks back and pulls a verse out of a psalm, a song that was written hundreds of years before. Actually, Psalm 44. And he says this, for your sake... We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Why does Paul pull that out and put it into the present day? For them. You know, for them, they would walk through things like that list. And they would think, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God is actually punishing me. And rightfully so. Maybe I deserve it. And Paul's saying, no. Part of walking through this life is not escaping without hardship. It's not walking through without walking in these hard things, but it's learning to walk through these things as a result of following our Savior that went first. He says, so we experience these things for your sake. It isn't as if we're being punished. It isn't if he's pulling his love. This is just part of what it looks like to follow me in this Life. And so Paul finally brings us to the big verse here. And he answers this sort of rhetorical question for us. He says, No, no, there ought be nothing that separates us from God's love in all these things. And he gave his list, you may have yours. He says, This, we're more than conquerors. Actually, one word, which I'll show you in just a minute. Through, through him, that is Jesus, who what? Who loves us. This is what it looks, the more than conquerors word looks like in the Greek. Maybe you've heard this word before. Hyper, which just means like hyper, right? Super, a lot, massive. And then Nikomen, which means, some of you know your Greek goddess. My son did. He knew this when we were walking through the Greek this week. Nike means, do you know? She's the Greek goddess of victory. Some of you know that if you're Nike fans, because that's where they got their name. So what Paul is saying is in Christ, what he's done for you, you are, as a recipient of the love of Christ, more than conquerors. You are a hyper-victorious person in Christ. In other words, you don't just wage through these sufferings. That God shows up in a way that you see him, in a way that you proclaim him, in a way that you think... I've walked with enough people through some hard, hard, hard things. And so many times they'll say this. I wouldn't wish what we're going through, what we've gone through on my enemy. But, and then there's this but, how God has met us in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this trouble or hardship or persecution. Well, I wouldn't trade that for the world because God showed up in a unique way and found us in that place. I was more than a conqueror. I I, I did more than survive that season. God showed up in these ways that only God can. And while I very much think Paul is, is helping us see that as we walk through the challenges that each of us face in different ways as we walk out life. I just knew as I was studying this that God had something more for us. I don't know if you ever had that when you're reading the Bible or studying it. You're like, I know there's more to mine here. God wants to say something else to us. And so as I wrestled with a number of different kind of people that had studied this, and it just wasn't like there for me. 
because I was pushing back a bit against this sense of like, you know what, God, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, most days I don't feel like that. If I'm honest, it takes one often misinterpreted look from my wife or my kids or a coworker, and I'm not feeling a lot of hyper-conquering love. That just doesn't seem to be my experience. How do we walk this out as real people trying to live real lives? And I believe that this is where Jesus wants us to look for a moment. Think again about the list. Trouble, distress, hunger, nakedness, sword. What that list is, is a list of what Jesus walked through for me and for you. And what Paul directs us here in this text, he says, you're more than conquerors. Why? Not because you're going to walk through all these hard things and be hyper conqueror. You are more than a conqueror because you are in Christ. Because he conquered those things on our behalf for us. And so as we walk these out, we become people like Paul who say this next line, and I hope it's ours. He says this, for I am convinced. I'm convinced. Man, I've seen some stuff. I've heard some stories. Paul has his list. If we had time, it'd be blow us away just to walk through what Paul walked through pursuing his Lord. And in all of that, in light of Jesus' victory on the cross. And oh, by the way, more than that, three days later, he rose from the grave. And you know, he didn't just conquer death. He conquered it on my behalf and on your behalf that we might live as his children. So Paul says this, for I am convinced that not death, nor life, angels, demons, present, nor the future, any power, height, death, nothing, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us. Not because we get it figured out, but because of what God has done from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? I think there's a different way that people walk through life. Even then, I'm convicted that this is the truth. But Paul says, I'm convinced. I am walking. I'm walking with the one that hyper-conquered sin and death on my behalf. Are you convinced? Thanks so much for joining us, church. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, or if you'd like to partner with us financially, please visit sierrabible.com.